message tonight is uh, not an afterthought, um, not an afterthought. We, uh, in the presentation of the Word, here's what God's going to do. He's going to do something very special in some of your lives tonight. I believe that with all of my heart. Those of you listening online, Revelation Truth will change your life. And we know that behavior comes out of the heart, but it also is processed between our ears. If you say, well, uh, if I were to ask you the question, uh, how are you doing and and where are you at tonight? Well, I, I know that I'm in church. How did you get to the place in your life that you are at right now? Some of you might say, well, boy, I'm, I'm kind of in the shadow of valley of the shadow right now. Others of you say, I'm over Mount Carmel. Others of you say, you know, I'm looking at the great wall there in Jerusalem. Uh, and you say, but, but how did you get to where you are? I'm, I'm convinced at this stage in, in my life that God has a will and a way to take us on a journey in life. I, uh, two weeks ago, you saw that on the, if you've seen the paper today, two weeks ago uh, on the Lakeland Ledger, uh, very front page today, two weeks ago in the service, Frank uh, Kendrick was seated right over there. And I, I turned and I said, I, I, at the end of the service, I said, just believe in all my heart, God's going to show just exceptional special favor on someone here now. And Frank Kendrick put that in his journal, you know. The next day, Frank Kendrick owns uh, New Jack Construction and has been responsible for a lot of the construction Southeastern and just a wonderful family. His mom was a maid. He said, I had uh, five, five in our family and he said she was a single mom. She was a maid and worked her way from being a maid to becoming a nurse. And uh, as a result, and as a single mom and becoming a nurse, and then all of us, of course, she raised us right, even though she was a single mom, and God's blessed me and other members of our family. Uh, Frank and his family come to church here. But in the presentation, when the governor got there, and uh, I, I uh, was talking to the governor, and Frank had said, or said in his presentation, well, thank my family, thank my community here, my team members, want to thank this one and that one. I also want to thank my pastor. And I thought, uh, well, you know, what did I do? He said, he said in a service two weeks ago, uh, he said two weeks ago that someone in that service, he looked here, is going to receive special favor from the Lord. He said it resonated. I wrote it in my journal. And he said on Monday morning, the governor's office called and said, I'd like to come to your business in Lakeland and bestow upon you an honor as it relates to small business. And Frank said, I knew that came from the Lord. Now, I believe that God still does things like that. I believe that God speaks to us in our heart. I still believe God speaks to us every day. I believe that God directs our path. In the book of Esther, if you study carefully, God blessed Esther out of a very difficult situation. And, uh, and as a result of it, she was, she was used mightily uh, for the Lord in releasing new promise to the people of God. And uh, I believe that all of us in this room, whether we understand it or not, have a divine appointment a divine direction and divine intervention. 
And I believe that God is more concerned about my life than anything else in this universe. And he's more concerned about your life. God's more concerned about you than animals, more concerned about you than nature, more concerned about you than the atmosphere. You are the apple of God's eye. And from the beginning, God has a plan when we are created to divinely anoint and guide us in his path. I also believe that there are times that uh, we may suffer the consequence of a wrong decision. Let me just get this right, and you people online can do this. Are there any perfect people in the house? Anybody absolutely perfect? I know one guy raised his wife's hand. Uh, it's okay. Good job. Good job. Um, but I don't, I don't see any hands uh, of any perfect people. Well, that means that we are imperfect people with sometimes major dysfunctions that God looks down and still smiles upon us, looks down and smiles upon us, but he desires to direct us. So I was thinking in this particular message that some people say, well, I, I, am, I am in a path because I, I had luck. Now, you know how I feel about luck. I just believe I can't have it both ways, that, that okay, if I be, believe that my footsteps are ordered of God, then I don't want to have anything to do with luck. God, it's either you and you direct my footsteps or it, just, it happens luck. Here's what else I found out, that if you believe in luck, sometimes it works best if you just work hard. Amen? If you believe in luck, sometimes it works best if you work hard and you're looking for opportunity. But God is the resource of every opportunity that I had. When I started ministry, so I'm going to take you a quick journey here and, and get in the message. And I, I, uh, I, I, we, we started out early on in 20s, our first church in Bradenton, Florida. Three years, seven people, God blessed. Now, I was as happy as happy could be. I worked two or three jobs, sometimes three, mostly two jobs. Uh, we had a child, and as far as I was concerned, that pulpit there was as valuable and as exciting as this pulpit right here. I mean, I easily uh, get to the, the back of the church was about from that front pew to where the break is, where the camera is. That's how long it was. The whole church was about as wide as this set of pews right here. I mean, that was it. I mean, but I was as happy as I could be, faithfully discharge the responsibilities. Wednesday night, I've told you, there was, it was Sharon and me, but I was called to preach. I preached on Sunday, and Wednesday night, whether anybody was there or not, I preached. You've heard me say that, right? I preached. I always had a convert every service. Sometimes it was just Sharon on Wednesday night. And I've often said sometimes I, I took the testimonies and she testified, and other times I let her take the testimonies that I testified. There's only two of you there. But what was the point? The point was that God called us to be faithful to the place that we were at. And they had church on Wednesday night, so guess what we did? You don't have to have anybody to fulfill the will of God for what you're supposed to do. Are you out there? You just do it. You remain faithful. 
So for three years, we were faithful to the will of God. And then, of course, we left, got ready to leave there. The Holy Spirit spoke, said, it's time for you to go. I, I thought, well, what am I? It's time for you to go. Well, I didn't have anywhere to go. I uh, had no other preaching point. I wasn't, you know, no pastoral. I just said, it's time for us to go. Uh, and, and we did. And we preached in Jacksonville at a church. And we received the vote of 100%. And we got that vote 100%. And, and all that went with it. And in my heart of hearts, I thought, that's not where we belong. They said, well, why, uh, Reverend Blackburn, why wouldn't you come? Jacksonville, I just, just not resonate in your spirit. You know, then I, I get a call from a friend of mine. His name was Giant Taylor, who was the presbyter down in the DeSoto County, Fort Myers area. And he said, Wayne, I've got a church open in Arcadia, and I want you to come. And I said, well, you have any candidates? Yeah, we have about 20. And he said, but listen, and they're lined up to preach, but I'm putting you in there. I, I want you to preach. I said, well, you already, how did I get? And I know I need, I want you there Sunday. So we went. And we were voted in. Sorry, this is the will of God. I had culture shock there. But anyway, and we stayed there for uh, four years. And it was tough four years. It was a difficult four years. As I've said before to some of you, some of you knew, I had four former pastors still sitting in the congregation. And when you have four former pastors, you know, one pastor buried a family, and that's our pastor. I don't care who's in the pulpit. Another family said, he married us, so that's our pastor. Another pastor said, well, you know, he came out to our house and had dinner with us, and I, I, that's our pastor. So it was all, you know, everybody had their own little pastor, you know, and I just happened to be the youngest of the bunch and went in, and I just got up and let her fly and preached as hard as I knew how. And the church grew and expanded, and a lot of sacrifice took place. I learned some of the most valuable lessons of my ministry right there. But listen to me carefully, friend. A great majority of that pastorate, I wanted to leave almost every day. You know, I wanted to leave. I thought, God, this is tough. This is not rewarding at all. Everything that I did, I had to fight for to buying property, fight for it. But I grew. I hugged Australian pines on the property that we bought to build a new church and just among the homeless people out there. Hugged them, left there, came to Mulberry. Thought, wow, amazing in Mulberry. I used to drive from Bradenton back to Winter Haven through Mulberry back when they used to have about 1,000 train cars go through there a day. And they took forever to get past the crossings. And I remember saying, I will never, ever, God, ever come to this town to pastor. I ate my words. I, I left Arcadia, came to Mulberry, stayed there five years of great, just wonderful, loving Jesus. Those people, the greatest people in the world. Loving God, people got saved right and left, filled up the church, built a new church. And I mean, the Badcock family, we influenced them in a, in a great, great way. And so God did some remarkable things. And it was like heaven, like heaven on earth. I came from not wanting to be at a place every day to a place I thought, it can't get any better than this. I love these people. These two people right over there. Mike and Pam, raise your hand. Got saved as a result of the Mulberry ministry. Some of the others of you did. So it was there. But it was there that I became uh, 
presbyter of the Lakeland area. Young. Was a young I was the youngest presbyter at that time. And at the time we wanted to sell our old camp facilities, Camp Alify. And uh, so we thought we ought to have in the district office, J. Ford Johnson was superintendent, Ray Schultz, a secretary then. And, uh, and the assistant superintendent was not a full-time. He pastored a church. And, but we decided to handle, uh, decided to handle uh, hire a, a, a development director over Christian education, over estate planning, uh, over Sunday school, all Christian education, uh, over just building churches, over camp oversight of camp, oversight of properties, oversight of retirement apartments, all those things. I was chosen to be on the committee to develop the portfolio for that person. And I remember saying, this person is going to have a miserable life. They're going to be so busy. So at any rate, we did buy property, Masterpiece Gardens. We own it now. And I got to be a part of that. And when it came time for the superintendent to choose the development director, on Labor Day, right after we bought that property, he decided, we decided to have a big old Labor Day picnic because we had told all the churches of Peninsula, Florida, 300, 325, we're going to have new family conference center, et cetera, et cetera. It's going it's to happen. And the day that we had, we probably had 10,000 people showed up. They were lined up down the highways. I was responsible for putting that together. So I'm running. I got my own church. I was responsible for putting that together. So I'm working tooth and toenail, getting it done, fulfilling God's service, etc., and just doing everything that I could. But when it came time for Brother Johnson to choose the person to be the Christian education director, the development director, the estate planning director, and all, all that went with it, uh, he said, Wayne, I want you to take that. Why? Why? He said, I watched you. I watched you in the planning. I watched you in the preparation. I watched you in how you handled the big picnic. I watched how you just worked even though you're pastoring your church. I'd like for you to do that. I'll pray. That's the night. On the night of Deering Pray, God gave me a vision of the things that I needed to do. I'm in bed. I'm in the middle. I didn't wake up, but I saw, I saw the Lord at the end of the bed, and I talked with him just as I'm talking to you right now. And my, my, I had questions, and he answered the four major questions that I had. And when I awakened that Saturday morning, one was to shell, sell Sharon's baby blue Volkswagen bug. And when I awakened... That Saturday morning, Sharon's standing over me looking down. I thought, my God, she heard me talking to Jesus about her car. Uh, she didn't know. But when I revealed to her what God said and got in that car and drove it down to the church that Saturday morning to do some work, somebody came by, three people came by to buy that car. And I didn't even have a for sale sign on it. You see, luck, the footsteps of a righteous person. So I'm thinking, God, I'm on this journey. Everywhere I've ever been, I have worked hard and endeavored to be faithful. So I'm, I'm in Mulberry. So when I go to the district office, that's a brand new world. 
We're running 30, 35,000 miles a year in a car with our kids in a different church, two different churches, sometimes three different churches every Sunday. And I'm back in the office in Lakeland, no matter if we were in Miami or Jacksonville, by 8 o'clock on Monday morning, we were back in the office to answer roll call. You know, so it was no rest for the weary. And so that's, that's, that's how, how that happened. And so in serving almost eight years there, and God did some miraculous things. I had people that were against me. And they told me they were during that eight years of building the family comfort center. They wrote letters and said they were against me. But you know what? If you just get busy in whatever God's called you to be, you really don't have time to come off the wall and go down and get into conversations with people that don't like what you're doing. Everybody understand? It's the Nehemiah factor. You got an opinion, I love you. I've got a project and an order. I'm going to get the job done. And I did. I can tell you that after all of that, those two individuals became and are still my very best friends today. Still. Why? Because God was working in behalf. So from that of being in the district office and doing a lot of things there, naturally, the opportunity came and Victory Church was born in, uh, uh, let's see, 89, uh, 1989. And Victory was born and uh, I eventually became lead pastor here. Uh, it was a God thing all the way, in my opinion, being obedient to the Lord. I remember the night that the board talked with us. We started early. We had a ring sandwich from Publix. God bless them. We had a ring sandwich from Publix, and we went on into late, late night that night. And yet God worked that out. This property that you're on straight up was not the property that I thought was the property. It wasn't. There's several reasons. We tried other properties. We had a contract fell through. You know, and finally, I began to realize, well, God, that may not be the property. So when Dr. Gill, who owned this property, who owned all this property across a highway, the whole mall, all of that, where Chili's, all of it, he owned it all. But this property, this acreage, he put in a separate corporation and said, when I sell that property, I will sell it to a church. In his mind, a very godly man. Well, how much you want for it? Well, there's an MAI appraisal. How about half of that? Well, how much interest rate do you want? Well, whatever you want to pay. Well, how much down payment you want? Whatever you want to give down. I'll finance it. You don't have to worry about it. People like Larry Dobbs, Joe Jasso, Maxwell, others step to the plate. And you say, okay, luck. You see, what I'm suggesting to you in this, in this process of time, that your life is not an accident. And that in my life, I could take the time and tell you about the pain of many of those experiences. I could tell you about the pain of getting rejected. I could tell you about the pain 
of individuals not liking. I can tell you about the pain of opposition. I can tell you about the pain of not having enough money to buy a formula. I can tell, I can tell you all those stories. But that's not why I'm here. Those are opportunities to grow. And through the process, through the process of saying, all right, God, this is your deal. Mulberry, when I was there and we needed to build a building, Mulberry had never had a major fundraiser. Never. Never never a major fundraiser. So no one, I mean, other than paying their tithe and watching the trains hold up the traffic, my coming along and said, we need to have a fundraiser to raise money for the church. That was new news. That was, but did you know what? Then in my office one day, a little lady came. She was an African-American, a little black lady, Lily Bell Bender. Lily Bell had somebody drop her off at the church. She came in. The front door was open, and my office door was open. I mean, when you came in the lobby there, and it's still that way today, and you just go right there, that was the office. She came in, and she was shaking. That time, she seemed to me to be about 90. But everybody back when I was 32 seemed to be 90. How many, how many, how many understand that? They weren't really that old, I'm beginning to realize. And she asked me this question, can I come to your church? We had zero black people who attended First Assembly of God. And the CB name in Marbury was called the Hanging Town. Because history states years ago, on Sunday morning, you would see several, unfortunately, blacks hanging from the Marbury tree by their neck. That was their history. Lily Bell came in. Can I come to your church? I said, you sure can. You sure can. You have a ride home? Yes, sir. She got back in her car and left. Sunday morning, I found out where she lived, and I had somebody go by and pick her up and bring her to church. Church was full. I thought, I wonder how everybody's going to respond when Lily Bell comes in. Now, when you're a spirit-filled elderly black woman, you don't sit on the back row. <laughs> you come on down to the front row, and she did. She had her little purse, her little hanky. It's all super interesting. She came and sat there, and when worship came, she worshiped. And I worshiped that day, too this way while Lily Bell was worshiping I did I thought God here you go I'm going to be run out of this place but you know what she worked her way in the hearts of everybody and before I ever approached the board about guys you got to be the big givers here to help us get going Lily Bell came up to me one Sunday I've told this story but some of you are new and she said I'd like to give I'd like to give $1,000 to the building program. She'd only been in the church six weeks. We hadn't had anybody step to the plate yet to give $1,000. Dwayne Townsend over there 
gave $1,000. Do you remember that? And, said, and I said, thank you, Jesus. So I went to Lily Bell to her house, and she went back in the back, and she came out with $5, $10, $50, and she said, I'm not sure, but I think there's enough money. And it was crumbled up. It was crumbled. That's life right there, so don't let it bother you. Uh, so I uh, crumbled up, and she said, I, I want 1000 So I counted it out, and sure enough, she couldn't read. And a little more than $1,000. And I said, Lily Bell, here, you keep this. We don't, we don't need this. No. I need to give it. You don't need to give it. Keep it for your burial. I don't need to give it. You don't need to give it. She said, no, I do. Pastor, she would send me a note. And you had to learn her, her scribble. But it was P-A-S-T-E-R. But you had to look hard to see what it said. Pastor, don't not let me get a blessing. Little Bell, we got it. When I told the church that the first thousand came from Lily Bell, a woman on Social Security who said that far too many times she hid her money because some of her grandkids would come and take it from her, she said. It ignited a fire in that church that said, if a precious little black woman on Social Security can give her burial money to the building program, God, what can I do? Luck. Luck. That God would anoint a precious black to come in to that church and be the one who would be the bell ringer. Do you know what we did? I've said this. We, we made a little resolution and said, when Lily Bell dies, First Assembly of God of Mulberry will pay for her cemetery, her burial, and everything that goes with it. She won't her family won't need to step to the plate. And we did. Luck. You see, in all of those events and coming here, the ups and downs of not, couldn't borrow any money. No bank would loan, but God worked it out. And when we dedicated this building and the other parcel out there between here and the highway and Dr. Gill stepped to the plate, he watched us those four or five years, six years, seven years, and watched us. And when we built this building, he said to me, I have watched your ministry, and I've watched you grow, and I've watched your outreach. And he said, you owe about seven, between seven fifty and 800000 And here's the deed to that property. You don't owe me any more money. Luck. Now, here's, here's what I'm asking, just trying to get you to wrap your mind around. I, I thought the best way is just, some of you have heard it, to equate my journey. And in my future, here's what I've tried to do. What's the will of God? Here's the will of God. Get up, brush your teeth, comb your hair, put your pants on, and get out 
and go do something. Amen? That's it. That's God's will for me. Get up and go do something. Go do something somewhere, you know. Just go do something. Don't complain about what you don't have or your lack of pay. Don't complain. Just get up and go fulfill the will of God because where you are is the place God has designated you now. Now. It's now. So in the process of this story in John 4, I'll throw a little scripture in here, is this man who is very wealthy. Guys, you don't have to put anything on the screen because I'm going to slide pretty quickly. He heard that Jesus was coming to Galilee from Judea. And we know that he was in Capernaum. Capernaum and Cana of Galilee is 15 miles apart. He was a wealthy government individual. He had influence. He had everything in order to seal. But he had a son that was death, sick unto death. And he tried everything under his influence to get healing for his son. He did not send an advisor or representative to Jesus. He went on his own. It would take eight to ten hours to make that journey to where Jesus was in Cain of Galilee. How did he know about Jesus? In some of the festivals, Jesus, of course, had already had ministry and in Jerusalem, and many miracles were done. And we believe that this man or a member of his family saw Jesus perform miracles. But after all, Jesus turned water into wine. And this man went to Jesus and said, listen, my son is sick unto death. Now, I had to make a choice. Do I live by, by luck? Do I live by intellect? Do I live by circumstance? Do I live by the will of the doctor? Do I live by, okay, this will pass? Or do I run to a person that I do not know that is a Jew and not a pharisaical influence like me, do I run to him? And he knew that Jesus performed the miracles. And when he got there, instead of running to his own sufficiency, instead of running toward what he could figure out, he went to Jesus. And when he got there, he said, I have a son that is sick unto death and I need you to heal him. It was amazing. That crisis out of his life drew him to Jesus. That crisis out of his life gave him a place in the crossroads, whether or not he would compromise and go the way of self-service or human understanding or say, I'm going to do the spiritual, the godly thing. I'm going to Jesus. He took the journey and went to Jesus, and when he got there, I need you to heal my son. And Jesus said, you you can go now. He did tell him something that was super interesting. He said, your son is going to live. And here's what the Bible says about that man. He says, "Um, um, listen, my, my faith is I'm going to take you at your word. I'm going to take you at your word. And this is what Jesus said. 
He said, you know what the problem is? He said, the problem is, unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. And you know what? In life, often we live our life, and in the Christian community, we're looking often for the pizzazz. We're looking for the next level that we can climb to. We're looking for the next, you know, touch, etc. Do you know where the real miracles are? It's not often found in the once in a while things that God touches you or the moments when I say, for example, someone's going to receive favor and God fulfilled it. Let me tell you where it's at. It's in simply trusting God every single day and saying, God, I don't have what I want now, but apparently I'm right where I need to be with you and I'm going to remain faithful until you say, I've got the next step that needs to be taken and where you are at that moment is where where God begins to send the necessary miracles. I encourage you, don't, it's not okay in the title of the message, not an afterthought. God's direction for your life is not an afterthought. Don't get ahead and don't slow down, but be where you need to be. He was putting the man off. He said, man, you guys are looking for miracles? And what did Jesus want? I don't want you to run for the miracle. Come to me for the miracle. I want you to come to me for me, for me. Not what I can do for you, for me. Lily Bell Bender, she didn't have anything to gain. It wasn't like, okay, if you give the 1,000, we're going to give it 10,000 back. She virtually gave the trusted money she'd been putting back, putting back, she set for a burial. When she was in that little rocking chair in her living room, and I can see it as good as today, apparently the Holy Spirit spoke to her and said, don't hold on to something that you think you need. Go down to that church that you've been going to for a little while. And you give that thousand. And she did. Was she a part of the miracle? I think about her every time I drive down there. I think about one little woman who was willing to say, I don't get anything out of this other than knowing I have got to be faithful. And she was. And Jesus said, hey, do what you need to do for me. So the question is, the passion in your heart, where you are positioned right now, how does that feel to you about as God is directing you and speaking into your heart? Sometimes, uh, you know, pe people said to me, because when I came into the district office, it wasn't a position I wanted at all. As a matter of fact, I was part of, I thought this guy's nuts. When I was asked, I thought, great day. This is unbelievable. This is messing my life up. I love where I'm at. But that wasn't God's will that led me to the next step, that led me to the next step. You see, sometimes in the midst of challenge, 
that we have. And sometimes when we have to stand still, God, God begins to direct us, and that's where opportunities are. And this is what Jesus said in 1 John 5, 4, everyone born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that's overcome the world, even our faith. So I function in my faith attached to faithfulness. And so Jesus said to him, uh, you heal my son or die. he will die. And Jesus said, you go home, your son is well. You see, what Jesus wanted him to understand is, hey, you don't have to come to me. You don't, and he proved that several times. You don't have to come to me. I'm everywhere. You have a one-on-one audience with the king of the universe right now. Seated in his presence, knowing that he already says, it's my desire to bless you, to anoint you, but at the same time saying, don't be the prodigal son, be the, be the son and be the daughter that is grateful for the touch that I have given to you by the grace of God. And then finally, victory is no coincidence. The father realized that when he got home, they met him. They didn't have to say, he didn't have to ask, how's, how's my boy? I believe the kid was in the crowd. And when he looked up, he saw his daddy, and his daddy saw his son. But do you know what the question was? How did you feel when you got better? Did it take hours? Did, how, did the fever just leave? Did your mama pick you up? They give you three Tylenol PM. Is that what they did? You know what the question was? And he couldn't wait to ask it. What time were you healed? What time? They said, about one o'clock in the afternoon yesterday. And that man knew it was one o'clock when Jesus said, go home. Your son is healed. Luck. You just got lucky. I just want you to know, this message is not about anti-luck. This message is about trusting, honoring, and being faithful no matter where you find yourself, knowing that God knows the moment, the moment. He knows where you will be tomorrow and next week. And if you decide to lay aside every doubt and say, God, I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to give you my problem. I'm going to give you my difficulty. I'm going to lay it at your feet. And you then humble yourself and get sweet in the presence of the Lord. God will guide you. Amen? So what was the, out, what was the outcome? It was about the same time when the man sat down with his family and they said, what happened? He said, uh, 
Here's what happened. And the Bible says what Jesus was really after. And every time he gives favor and a miracle, it's for one reason, maybe two. He wants to bless you. But out of that blessing, he wants lives to be changed. He wants souls to be delivered from the bondage of sin. And that's why every miracle takes place is to give it to God. So whoever you are, wherever you're at, in whatever situation, let me just tell you something. Stay faithful, stay determined, stay sweet, and watch what God will do. You will be favored, and he will be honored. Amen? Let's stand to our feet and give the Lord a clap offering. Would you do that? Father, I thank you uh, tonight for the way that you have spoken in and through us. And I thank you because here we stand and we stand on our feet and we just, many have worked hard today and we started early this morning. And God, uh, if I say when the alarm goes off, but many of us wake up about the same time and don't need an alarm, uh, God, uh, we, we just thank you uh, for who you are. And we're gathered here tonight to say, Jesus, you are the sweetest name that we know. You are the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. And God, we're, we don't want to be on the sideline and we don't want to murmur about what we don't have. We don't want to murmur about maybe having to take a U-turn. We don't want to murmur if something tears up and it delays us a little bit because you are always right on time. And that if we just trust you, we don't have to worry if we just lean on you because you're going to work it all out. Because if I say to you, God, I want to give you the honor and the glory that I have to be working in the vein where you are. And for a number of years, and that was a difficult place, but it was right where you wanted us. And so, God, we've seen the best of the best. And we've seen some of the worst of the worst. But in between, we still say thank you, Jesus, for you have done great things. What a privilege. So heads bowed and eyes closed. Just in case someone's listening online, in case some of you are here and your heart's not in tune with the Lord, you're doing it your way. And you use excuses like something that holds you back or habit or whatever the case let me just tell you, you stay sweet, you get humble, and you just keep leaning on the Lord, even in the midst of your challenge. You just keep leaning on Him, and you watch what He'll do. So let's repeat this prayer, everybody. Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus forgive, me. forgive me. I've made mistakes. I've made mistakes. I, have up, I have messed up, and I need a touch. I need a touch. So, I so I confess my sins, and I believe by faith, believe by faith that you are touching my life and giving me change. I don't know where you're taking me, but wherever it's at, if it's in your will, I want to be there. So God, I'm not complaining about anything. I'm just trusting you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you need prayer, we're going to sing this song. God can touch you. God can heal you. God can anoint you. God can deliver you. He can do something for you. If you just respond to him tonight before we give the dismissal, you come on down, okay, friend? And we'll see what God will do. Here we go. Let's see what God will do.